Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Singing that last song, Lord, it just really made me want to be in heaven. And just knowing my own sin and looking at the sin that's in our world today, I think of what's happening in the city of Baltimore this past week, and and my heart just breaks over the brokenness and the hostility and the division and the lack of looking to you for the answers. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning as a people who don't want to turn away from your will or your word. Lord, the fact is, if you don't speak to us this morning and we don't listen to you, we're going to do exactly what the world does when it has problems. And we're going to think exactly the way the world thinks when it goes through difficulties and trials and temptations and sicknesses and illnesses and disease, and we're going to handle life and conflict in the same way the world does. And Lord, we see every day that that is not profitable. And so we come to you, our good and gracious and powerful Heavenly Father, and we appeal to you and we ask you to speak powerfully and we ask you to help us to listen carefully and that the Holy Spirit will do a a massive work today to transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ and to be conformed to His likeness as we study His Word. We ask this in His name. Amen. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the back corner. You can go grab one. I want to ask a question this morning, a searching question, and we're going to do something a little different this morning. I want to ask you the question, if you are a Christian, what do the verses that we're about to read suggest about your relationship with Jesus Christ? What do the verses that we're about to read from the book of Colossians suggest about your relationship with Jesus Christ? And so I want us to start at the very beginning of Colossians. Our text is chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. But I want us to read it. I want to read some verses in the book of Colossians before we just zero in on verses 1 through 4. So this is the question for you. What do these verses suggest about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Beginning in chapter 1. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Verses 3 and 4, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith 
in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 and 8. Epaphras has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So before we go any further, you are saints and brothers in Christ. You have faith in Christ. Epaphras has made known to us your love in the Spirit, and we pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of the will of Jesus Christ. So far, what, what, does, what does the text say about your relation to Jesus Christ? You're in Him. There is an intimate relationship with Him, correct? Well, let's continue to see it. Look at the end of chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known, that is to Christians, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So here, Christ is in you, and then you are in Christ, and then Christ is working within me. See that? Look down at chapter 2, verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In Christ. Where is the object of your faith? It is in Christ. And then look at verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you've received Him, as you've taken Him upon yourself, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. So you've received Him, and now you're walking in Him, and you're rooted and you're built up in Him. Again, verse 8. Just, just sit back and look at the landscape of your relationship to Jesus Christ and the proximity He is to you and you are to Him. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And then look down at verse 20. If, that is since, with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? In other words, you did die with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world. And then our text for today, verses 1 through 4, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then look down at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now he's giving practical instructions about how to live everyday life. But look down at verse 18. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then finally, if you look at chapter 4, he's given final greetings. I mean, this is, hey, you know, tell Jimmy hello and, and, and tell Sally to keep up the good work. But, but here in verse 7, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And verse 17, Say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. What do those verses suggest about the Christian's relationship to Jesus Christ. Complete? There's a completion about it? It's good. Yes, there's unity. We are in Him. We are with Him. He is in us.
every realm. That's exactly right. Our relationship with Christ should affect every realm of our entire being. There's much more that we could say, but I I want us to understand that while the book of Colossians is all about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for salvation and for life, it is not removed from the intimacy, the fellowship, the unity that believers are to experience with Him. Jesus Christ is not just out there and up there. He is in here. He is with us, and we are with Him. Amen. And so, you can turn your your Bibles right there to chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. But I think it's very important that we understand the difference between union and division. Union and division. Um, What does union mean? Union means the state of being one. The state of being one. It means united together with another. That's what the word union means. United together with another. Whereas division means to be separated from another. Union is united together with another. Division is separated from another. And what Paul is saying is that if you are a Christian, you are united together with Jesus Christ. You are one. You are a union. That is an unbelievable truth if you're a Christian. It's amazing. Now, I'd like to give some illustrations I'd like to call on some people and ask for you to tell me whether this is an example of union or division. Union or division. So Abigail, you're locking eyes with me right now. So if you've ever been to a wedding and a, a bride and a groom have just said, I do, and the pastor has said, um, you may now kiss your bride and the groom and the bride kiss one another for the first time. Is that an example of union or division? Union. Beautiful union. That's right. Carson, when the Civil War occurred and the South separated from the North, was that an example of union or division? Division. Because they were separated from one another. There was no longer that oneness, that unity, right? To that togetherness. Cody, when a baby calf spends its first days with its mother calf and, and is right there, is that an example of union or division? Union. That's right. All right. Uh, Mark, New York, you've been down here a few years. The day of the Iron Bowl in the state of Alabama. Is that an example of union or division? <laughs> that is division. That's right. You're a, uh, you're a Baltimore product, uh, Phil, right now in the city of Baltimore. It's citizens with its city officials. Is that union or division? It's division. I don't know how many of you watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday, but as I watched the the jockeys on their horses, and that one who won, American Pharaoh, was the jockey and the horse in union with one another or in division? Union. The same cadence. They were at one with one another. I, I want to I begin right now 
looking at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3 by suggesting something that is absolutely true but very basic to, to human life. And that is this. You are either in union with Jesus Christ or you are at division with Him. In other words, you are at one with Him and and He is in you and you are in Him and as Carolyn suggested, you are complete in Him or you are completely separated from Him and there is absolutely no union. There is no togetherness. There is a division between you and Him and not only do you not experience intimacy and oneness and togetherness, but you will also pay the price for being separated from Him for eternity if you don't repent and believe. But if you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, then you are at one with Him now, you will be at one with Him forever, and you will enjoy likeness to Him for eternity. It does not matter whether you are a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or a poor, a supervisor or a servant, the the most important thing about you and your life is whether or not you are in union with Jesus Christ. And so... Paul, from verses 1 to 4, I believe, is saying, your union with Jesus Christ should compel you to consistently consistently fix your mind on Him. Your union with Jesus Christ and the blessings that flow from that should compel you to consistently fix your mind and your heart, and your affections, and your desires upon Jesus Christ. Kind of a unique message this morning. I really just want to give you one reality and one instruction. One reality and one instruction. The reality that I want to give you is an amazing reality, and that is this. If you're a Christian... You are in union with Jesus Christ. And I want us to run away from the singular idea that positionally we are at union with Jesus Christ. Positionally, run, you are at union with Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. You are one with Him because positionally, God has made you one with Him. So that when God looks at you, He looks at His Son, Jesus Christ. That is no doubt true. But I want to say this. Experientially, you are one with Jesus Christ. You have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that if you tap into that, life takes on a whole new meaning. There are all new kinds of colors there is, there is a more beautiful atmosphere around you when you tap into your union with Jesus Christ. And so if you'll just look down at the text, I just want to make some observations under this one reality, you are in union with Jesus Christ. First of all, notice the intimate relationship between you and Jesus along every stage of life. Just, just look. 
When Christ died, you died. When Christ was raised, you were raised. When Christ was exalted into heaven, your position is now in heaven. And when Christ returns in glory, you will be with him and like him in glory. Those are just observations right there from verses 1 through 4. At every stage of Christ's experience, you have been united with him there. Think about that. At every stage of Christ's experience, you have been united with him there. In his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his present glory, and in his future glory. You're at union with him in death. Just as he died physically, your old man died spiritually. This truth is evident throughout all of the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul goes into great detail about how when you give your life to Christ and you repent of your sins, you die to yourself and to the world. You no longer live at that point because you are dead to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Oh, do you continue to battle with that? Yes, you do. But you are dead to the utter sensitivities and inclinations to those things. Why? Because your old man is dead when you give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you, quote-unquote, get saved by the Lord. Your old man is no longer alive. That's why Paul said... Listen, I no longer live. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because we are like Paul. Paul says, there was a day in which I died. And it was the day that Jesus revealed himself to me in his glory. And my old man was gone and a new man came. I don't know how many of you are familiar with George Mueller. George Mueller was a man who uh, was wealthy but opened up an, an orphanage and ultimately cared for thousands and thousands of orphans. And he's legendary in the Christian circles, so I won't go on and on about him. But I want to give one of his testimonies to you. Listen to this. George Mueller said, There was a day when I died. Died to self, died to my opinions, died to my preferences, my tastes, and my will. I died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. And so, if you're here today, and I don't care whether you're 12 or 25 or 70, I want to ask you the question. Has there come a time in your life where you died? Has there come a time in, the, in your life where you died to yourself, to the elemental spirits of the world, to materialism, to greed, to the lust of the flesh, where you just died to all of that stuff and you said, I no longer want to live for that stuff. I want to live for Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've never had that experience, you need to have that experience because you're still alive to the world 
And the reason that things look so good to you and the reason that sexual immorality seems so appealing to you and the reason that more and more and more money seems like this is king in my life is because you're still alive to those things. There hasn't come a time when you've become dead to those things and alive to Jesus Christ. And so all you have to do is give your life to Jesus who gave his life for you in order for you to be in union with him. You're in union with him in your death if you have given your life to him. You're in union with him in resurrection life. If you look down at verse 1, Paul has bookend these truths here because in 1a he gives it and then in verses 3 and 4 he gives the union and then he sandwiches in between the instruction. And so what we're doing is looking at the bookends right now And he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He bases his instruction on the reality that not only are you dead, but now you are alive. You are a new creation because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he has resurrection. So this is a pretty basic truth to us because we speak about it a lot. And that is... Because Jesus Christ rose physically from the dead, you have risen spiritually from the dead. And so now you have power. Now you have resources. Now you have blessings. Now you have gifts. Now you have abilities. Now you have the fuel to live a life that honors God and pleases Him in everything that you do. It doesn't matter whether it's in marriage or in parenting or whether it's obeying your parents or working your job or loving a neighbor. You now have resurrection fuel and resurrection power to bring glory to God. Why? Because you're united to Jesus Christ in His resurrection. You're in union with Him. And then you're in union with Him in your future glorification. Look down at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Phil and I study Sunday's text every Monday together. And we just open up our Bibles, and we read it, and we pray, and we study it together. And that's how we, we shape and frame our Sunday services. And, and this Monday, as we were studying the passage, one of the things that we brought out is that we as Christians, we believe positionally that we're in Christ, that we are dead to the world and that we're alive to Jesus, that we have resurrection life spiritually because of Jesus' physical resurrection. We believe that and we nod our heads and we say amen to that and we give thanks for that. But one thing that we just don't really seem to grasp and get super excited about and possibly even believe with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the fact that we're going to see Jesus Christ revealed in glory and that we are going to be just like him when we see him as he is. And my fear 
is that because that seems like something that's way far out there that we don't dwell upon or think about very much and that it seems like something that's otherworldly and, and, and just other out there that we don't put our hope in that. And in not putting our hope in that and our union with Christ in that, we lose our Christward focus in life. Now get that. The temptation... The temptation, because we don't think about the appearance of Jesus Christ in glory and our likeness to him in that glory when he is revealed, causes us to be materialistic. It causes us to be fleshly. It causes us to see things um, that have a very low ceiling. Because all we do is look at one another. And all we do is think about our problems. And all we can do is think about what's on our our bank account sheet or what's um, on the ledger at work that we're trying to balance in order to keep our job. And all we can do is think about the problems and the, and the, um, the flat tire or whatever the case may be. And the thing is this, is we have to deal with all of those things. But the, the point that Paul wants to make is that we deal with the flat tire and we deal with the ledger at work and we deal with our bank account and we deal with our marital problems in view of the fact that one day we're going to see Christ's glory and we're going to behold it and we're going to also be like him. Because when we see it from that perspective, we no longer have a pedestrian or a pessimistic view of our flat tire or of our bank account or of our problem at our work or our conflict in our marriage. We have a heavenly view. We have a Christward view. We have a hopeful view because we are united to him in his glory and we are awaiting the consummation of that. So you are in union with Christ Folks, before we go a little bit forward, I just, I just want, if, especially if you're taking notes, I want to give you basic teaching on union with Christ that will not take very long, but it will hopefully be an anchor for you to understand your union with Jesus. So he's taught us what about the death and the resurrection and the glorification right there in verses 1 to 4. But I want to, I just want to, I want to give you four statements, four brief, quippy statements that tell you what it means to be in union with Christ. Okay, so if you're ready, I'm ready. First of all, you're in Him. You're in Him. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, God chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. Now get that, y'all. God didn't decide to create you and then realize that, oh, wait a minute, he or she's going to sin, so I need to, place, I need to place him or I need to place her in Christ so that I can have him or her as my own. No. God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. So from eternity past, God decided to create Chris Heitch in Jesus Christ. That's a lot of love right there. That's a lot of love. So you are in him from eternity past. You are in his life. By one man's obedience, Paul says, many will be made righteous. Why? Because the righteous life of Christ is accounted to you when you are in him. 
You are in his death. You are in his resurrection, as Colossians has clearly told us. So you are in him. Second, he is in you. He is in you. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the what? Branches. Then he says, he who abides in me and what? I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, union with Christ involves not only you being in him, but him being in you. And that's what gives you the power and the fuel to be able to go out and live a life that brings glory and honor and praise to him. So number one, you are in him. Number two, he is in you both powerfully and personally. He is literally and spiritually inside of you by his spirit. So you're in him and he is in you. Third, you are like him. You are like him. We studied 1 John in our first year as a church. 1 John 2.6, John says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. John, how can you say that I should walk the way Jesus did? I mean, John, Jesus was pretty awesome. I mean, he, he, he said the right things. He kept his mouth shut at the right time. He exercised patience. He extended mercy and grace to people in need. He showed excellent leadership for people who needed leadership. He cared for the struggling and the disenfranchised in this world. He spoke words of truth. He honored the Father with everything that he thought, did, and said in his life. John. How could you possibly expect me to walk as Jesus walked? John says to me, because he's in you. And you're in him. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we don't have an excuse. Jesus Christ is in you. The Spirit of Christ is in you. We can walk as He walked because we are in union with Him. Anything less than that is a denial of the powerful union that Jesus Christ came to bring to us. The fourth thing is that He's with you. So you're in Him. He's in you. You're like Him, and He is with you. Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, what does he say? There I am among them. And right before he ascends into heaven, he commissions his disciples, and he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with you. 
He's not apart from you. Jesus Christ is not separate from you somewhere where you can't reach him, extend to him. If somehow he could come to you in this moment, then you could be able to say no to sin. You could be able to lead courageously and love graciously and care for people intimately. Uh, but, but, but because he's so separate from you, you can't do that. No. Jesus Christ is with you this very day. He's with you. That is crucial to understanding union with Christ. Okay, so that is the first amazing reality. The one amazing reality is that you are at union with Jesus Christ. And so that just sets us up for the one instruction. Just one. That is, fix your mind on Jesus Christ. Fix your mind on Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul uses two verbs to make that point. He says, seek the things that are above and set your mind on the things that are above. Now, we just want to make a couple of observations. First observation is just the distinction between the two verbs. Seek and set your mind. Seek means to strive for, to pursue, to go hard after. It's a verb that intends for motion to be in your mindset, to, to go after, to work toward, to run after, to pursue. And then set your mind is a verb that means to think. It means to have a mindset about, to meditate on. And so he uses an, a verb that just kind of indicates physical action and a verb that in, indicates contemplation. Combining them, he's essentially saying you need to think on and meditate on and have a mindset of Jesus Christ as you are going hard after him and pursuing deeper intimacy with him because you're in union with him. Now, both of these verbs are in the present tense. By present tense, that means that Paul wants Ryan Limbaugh and Joey Boyd and Ron Marino and every other Christian at Redeemer Church to consistently and habitually and regularly pursue Jesus Christ and think about Him, not just merely on a daily basis, but on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. So it doesn't matter whether you're fixing wiring in a building or making a purchase order for another company or whether you're out at a school calling on a coach. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're pursuing hard after Christ and you're also thinking about Him. And as you're carrying out your obligations on a day-to-day -day basis, what you're asking yourself is, how can the glory of Jesus Christ be manifested and revealed as I do my duties? That's what it looks like. It's a present tense, ongoing thing. It's also active. Both of these verbs are active verbs. And I just want to make that observation because your union with Christ is a reality. But, but Paul is saying you've got to be active about going hard after it and enjoying it and appreciating it and loving it and tapping into all of the resources that your union gives you. Y'all, the fact is there are millions of Christians who are at union with Jesus Christ and they have no idea what that means. And because they have no idea what that means, they, they, they have all of the resources available to them to live a victorious Christian life, but they're failing and losing on multiple fronts. Why? Because they're not tapping in to their union. 
the fact that I am in him. He is in me. He is with me. I can be like him. Does that make sense? And so what we have to do is actively go after Christ. And so what does that mean for us? We have to read the word of Christ. We have to depend on the spirit of Christ. We have to pray to the father of Christ. We have to to be among the people of Christ. We have to listen to the words of wisdom from the all-wise Christ. We have to regularly, regularly confess our sins and go to Him for cleansing so that we can enjoy the freedom that Christ brings us in forgiveness. It means all of the means of grace that God has given to us, we are to actively engage in so that we can set our minds on things above and we can pursue them as hard as we can. This is probably going to be hard for you to write down, so just listen to this principle. When you understand life through the lens of your union with Christ, then you can understand life and live it for God's glory. In other words, believers, if you don't think about and meditate on your oneness, your unity with Jesus Christ, and all that that means for you in your Christian life, then you're never going to be able to put on display the manifold beauty and excellence of the infinitely eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But when you do, when you tap into the fact that you are in Him, that He is in you, that you are like Him and He is with you, you can put on display the infinite perfections of a glorious and beautiful and excellent God. And that's exactly your calling in the Christian life. Now, I've already kind of given this away, but just in case you're asking the question, when he says seek the things above and set your mind on things above, he is essentially saying set your mind and seek Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and everything that is rooted in Him and revealed by Him. All right. Finally, I just want to remind you of the reality and give you the instruction. Number one, you are in union with Jesus Christ. And because of your union with Jesus Christ, fix your mind on Him so that this world and all of its pleasures and all of its toys, and all of its bright lights and glitz and glamour will no longer tug at your heart effectively and pull you to itself and away from Jesus. But rather, you can look at all those things for what they are. They are pleasures that God gives. They are earthly things that sometimes I can partake in, but my heart doesn't have to be wrapped up in them and my heart doesn't have to be enslaved to them. Why? Because I no longer live and Christ lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Yeah. You would bow your heads in your heart. I just want to give you a time of meditation right now. I guess really there's, there's two kinds of people here. You're either in union with Christ or you're separated from Him. 
If you're separated from Him, please know today that you can be in union with Him. You can know a love relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be delivered from your sins. You can experience the fullness and the blessing of God's love if you give yourself to Jesus Christ today. And believer, right now, you're in union with Jesus. You're in Him. He's in you. You can be like Him. He's with you. I want you to ask yourself this question. In what ways do I need to tap into my union with Christ that I may walk as He walked and live as He lived? In what ways do I need to tap into my union with Christ that I may be able to walk as He walked and live as He lived? Let's contemplate that as we sing these songs of response and we'll wrap it up at the end. Paul says, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. I think we can hear those words and it sounds really spiritual, but we don't know how to how to go do that. And I, I will tell you, I'm probably not proficient at it, and I certainly fail, but for me, that's waking up in the morning and before my feet hit the floor, I think I'm I'm made for God today. It's as I'm getting ready and doing the things that it takes to get ready, which is not brushing my hair, but it's other things. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, how do I glorify Christ today? It's recording on my little iPhone device a passage of Scripture that I read over and over and over again for four minutes so that I can hit play in my car and listen to that text over and over and over again about Christ's love for me. It's then entering into conversation with people and thinking to myself, how do I bring the perspective of Christ into this conversation? It's after failing. It's after arguing a call at the Little League field and realizing that I almost got tossed out, that in order to represent Christ and His glory, I need to go to the umpire and ask for His forgiveness for offending Him. But I can't do that. I'll never do that after a ball game unless I've set my mind on Christ and unless I'm seeking Christ throughout the day. Because at that point, I'll go home and I'll regret that I ever did what I did and it'll keep me up at night because I haven't made things right. You tracking with me on how that works? And so church, I would just say, if you belong to Christ and if you're in union with Him, get your heart happy in Him every day. Think His thoughts after Him and seek to bring His perspective in every arena and every relationship that you have. And I believe if you do that, 
you will be obeying the command, set your mind on things above and seek the things above. Ron Marino is going to be up here on the front row. Um, and if you need prayer or counsel or encouragement, he's going to be here for a while. Come see him. Um, may God bless you as you seek the things that are above and set your mind there that you may glorify the Christ who is going to come to you one day. Amen.